Happy Mother's Day. I know for those of us that are adopted, for those who have relinquished, and even adoptive moms, Mother's Day can bring about a mixture of emotions that sometimes we're not prepared for. Sometimes they completely catch us off guard. Other times we feel it coming earlier in the week. And some people just get cranky around Mother's Day and don't know why. People that are mm, haven't faced their feelings around adoption might feel that way. Or first moms who are from the baby scoop era that were told to detach and move on with their lives. And so that's what they've tried to do. But yet, Mother's Day still... It's like a little needle in the side, a jab for those of us, um, especially adoptees that don't have a mother at all. Like I, I don't, um, it brings about complex feelings like birthdays too. Um, so I decided to open up a zoom room last night and I invited people from uh, Twitter Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, anybody that would is interested or willing to come in my Facebook groups. And we had about nine participants. It was a nice mixed group. Um, I originally planned it for adoptees, but um, a first mom joined us and I'm glad she did because she was really struggling and an adoptive mom who actually listens to adoptees was in there also and I appreciate that so much um so it is long uh over two hours but nice thing about listening on Spotify if you uh stop you can come back and it'll it'll save your spot for you so I hope that you will uh, check out this episode of the podcast. Hi. Hello. How are you? I am good, actually. Um, last night being by. Oh, hold on, somebody else is coming in. You got muted somehow. <laughs> Okay, how's that? Wow, I hear ya. Yeah, I am. Um, this is my last night by myself over the last two weeks, so I'm kind of excited to see everybody tomorrow. Oh, how come you're by yourself? A husband went down to repair daughter's house. Ah. Uh, and I haven't seen my son or my brother during this entire two weeks, even though they live upstairs. Oh, jeez. <laughs> They're always at work, so. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I guess we're going out to late lunch, early dinner tomorrow. Well, that sounds nice. Yeah, definitely. Looks like My Jonathan's son. audio is trying to connect. <laughs> trying. I know um, I got a dozen red roses from my son tonight when he came home. So oh, that was sweet. The first time I've seen him in two weeks and he's like, here, mom. I'm like, smart kid. That's very sweet. Yeah. He's a good kid. Definitely. Like, out of all my kids, he is the good kid. 
<laughs> well, that's well, you know. How many kids do you have? I have four of my own. And the what? other three are girls. Four of and, your own? Yeah, four of my own and two bonuses. <laughs> With steps or yes. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Two bonuses. That's a lot of kids. Yeah, that's six kids total. And then all of the kids that have adopted, you know, I hate to say adopted us, but over the years, all the kids, the extra kids that call us mom and dad. There's a lot of them. Well, that's not a bad thing. You're not actually adopting no. them. You're being no. like the cool auntie like we talk about on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Well, all of these extra kids have come to come my, call myself uh, mom and my husband, dad, and they literally treat us like we're mom and dad and all of their kids are our grandkids. So we're up to 24. Holy cow. Yeah. And the oldest one is 17. Wow. Babies. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. The youngest is just turned two. Oh, wow. Yeah. They are definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> they're fun when they're little. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> they're fun when they're older. It's just different stages, you know. Oh, yeah. And then my bonus niece, um, my best friend's daughter, graduates high school tomorrow. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in their life for the last nine years, and I've watched these girls grow from little tiny things into young women, and it's like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Time does go fast. It does. Oh, we got a few people in here. We got Darren in here. We got Jay. We got Shayla. Jonathan's still yeah. trying to connect. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Uh, not too bad. How about you? Okay, actually. I don't think I've been hit with like too much of the mother's day feels but i don't think i've really been thinking about it too much i've had other things going on i was in the er this week i had an abscess and i had a tooth pulled so i've had distractions <laughs> yeah i've uh been trying to distract myself i'm actually getting ready to fly to texas for a summer so i've been trying to distract myself with that That'll do. That'll do. That's for sure. How about you, Darren? How have you been? I'm doing all right. Um, the Pitbulls having a concert not too far from us, so we can hear it in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it was he played last night. Tonight it's pretty loud. Um, no, I'm. I'm doing well. I, I sent a uh, Mother's Day card to my son's mother and, and to his wife as well. And uh, that's how I chose to celebrate Mother's Day this year. My mom died in 2012 and I don't have contact with my birth mother. So um, yeah. this is what I chose to to do, something to honor other mothers in my life. It felt good. They, his, uh, my son's mother has colon cancer, um, and she had some sort of surgery this week and is in the hospital right now. 
So I'm not sure what's going on, but hopefully she can recover from that. Yeah, that's that's definitely rough. I'm sure she'll appreciate the card. Yeah, my um my adoptive mom passed in 2008, <clears throat> and of course I found a grave, um when I searched. So, like I'm motherless. Uh oh, the dogs. Yeah, I'm actually gonna celebrate. Mother's Day tomorrow with my adopted mother because I don't have like any other mother. Um, I don't know where my biological mom is, so that's the only way to celebrate it for me at least. Did you've not searched or did you? And you just well, I'm just now kind of getting to the point where both financially and physically, I can start to search, so. Oh, okay. What state are I you mean, in? I live in Florida. Oh, okay. I don't believe they're too forthcoming with their records, right? No. Yeah. So have you I'm, done I'm DNA? Having, no. Um, several people have recommended I do DNA testing, and basically... Um, Someone on Instagram pointed me to uh, Fireside, and from there I met a most of y'all, and through y'all I was recommended like DNA and all sorts of resources to doing the search. Yeah. Ancestry has a sale um, right now, because they do on Mother's Day and like Father's Day and different holidays. They do uh, pretty good discounts where it's like a hundred bucks, I think, instead of, or maybe even less. It, it's sixty. Know. It's sixty instead of a hundred. Sixty instead of okay, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, forty bucks off, and you can download your raw data from Ancestry to uh, FTDNA GEDmatch or um, My Heritage. Yeah. And and it'll match you with other biological relatives. 23andMe has the same um, process, but they can't download 23andMe to Ancestry. Ancestry has the biggest database. So that's why if you're going to do DNA, start with that one. Heard. Keeps on giving too. I, I, did my DNA Christmas 2017 and like just a couple weeks ago I matched with the third cousin but she's like this big uh, family historian for my paternal grandmother's family so she took a picture of like my great grandfather's house that he built is still standing and she kind of filled wow. me in with a lot of information it was really cool yeah yeah it's fascinating to me <laughs> But when yeah, you go a long time not knowing anything, any details you get are like, wow. <laughs> yeah, my parents, uh, they know very little about my life before they adopted me. I'm like, okay. Were you adopted as a New York newborn or were you foster to adoption? 
Um, I was adopted at 18 months old. Oh, okay. So, so you were in foster I, care for a bit? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame that they don't have any information. Are you able to go back to the agency they adopted you through and ask questions or get anything from them? Um, basically, my parents would have to sign off on like any if they were to release any records and they said they will not do that your so adoptive was, parents yeah so i'm having to do this whole search like on my own kind of under their radar definitely do dna then yeah dna gets around closed records in a lot of cases and um you can do it privately on your own and um, the the thing I've through my own journey and reading other people's stories is, you know, I, I think adoptees have a right to our our story and, and our records. And it, it's it's sad that the big elephant in the room about adoption is rarely talked about with adoptive parents and yeah. And, you know, it, I, th I think a lot of them are naive because, you know, if you don't talk about it and then the adoptee grows up and becomes an adult and they want to search, a lot of times it, the adoptive parents act like, well, you know, you're being disloyal and all that bullshit. I mean, it, you can support the support the adoptee you or not. Um, you know, if you claim you love your kid that you adopted, then help them with their search. Be supportive. Right. Yeah. And have have a dialogue. Yeah, I, I had to convince my mom. Like I was asking her to get. I mean, I was twenty seven at this point, and I was asking her to get my records out of the safety deposit box. And she worked right next door to the bank. And she kept uh, forgetting, you know, air quotes. And um, one day I was like, I started asking her, I'm like, mom, like, can you please get it? And I saw her like stiffen up. And I was like, you've been my mom for 27 years. Whatever is in there and whatever I find is not going to change that, you know? And that's like, she started crying and the whole thing. And then after that, the next day she got my papers for me. But it was like very dramatic. And it's like, they really seem to need our reassurance, you know, that we're not trying to run off and leave them. We just want to know who we are. <laughs> yeah. How old I are mean, you? I'm 22. Okay. Yeah. You're young. Um, so my brother and I are both adopted from, we're not biological. So that makes it even more interesting. Yeah. Um, so he has more um, biological information than I do. Mm -hmm. for, for example, he knows his birth father is a barber. And he knows that his biological mom, if I remember this correctly, she was a teacher. Interesting. And I have zip silch nada. Yeah. And I told my parents, I was like, I don't care if I, like, don't ever meet my biological mom. All I will settle for is a picture. 
because as my as a great person once said, a picture tells a thousand words. Yeah. Yeah. Medical history is nice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. And genetic mirroring, having a picture, it it it's a very surreal feeling if at least it was for me when I met my birth mom and, and she sent me pictures for the first time and I saw the resemblance and she had bright red hair and um you know it it's it's uh unfortunate your parents are, are not willing to to have a dialogue about it. Um yeah. Yeah, that makes I, it really hard. I felt the same way. Like I was afraid to hurt my adopted mother when I started to uh, search. And what, every time I went to do anything towards searching, whether I had to get um, my paperwork notarized by the lawyer or go buy a stamp or anything photocopied to mail, I'd always run into her on my way to do it. And she'd always say the same thing. Oh, why didn't you call me? I would have gone with you. You know, like I was afraid to upset her and right. I'd run to her, you know, and she, she was so supportive. It was, and I had the same fear that like, she was going to think I, I was trying to replace her, you know, but um, it, it was a nice moment uh, when I went, I went over to her house before I left to go meet my birth mother. And uh, we talked in the kitchen and she just said, tell her, like, thank her for giving me the most precious gift anybody could give. Mm. You know, it was just such a nice supportive moment, you know, and, and I wish I could have brought her with me because six, six months later, my adopted mother passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, uh, quite a shock I, I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be without a mother wow you know? that's a lot to go through in a short span like because reunion's heavy it's a lot it's yeah it's so yeah. much like, you get constantly smacked in the face with all these realizations and you know it's just so much to process it's, one thing I always tell people like if you're going to go through reunion make sure that you take your time don't rush into things and expect nothing and uh, give yourself plenty of time to process because it's like emotionally exhausting. Yeah, that's that's true because I read, we only had three books about it in the, our local library. So I read all of them and there were so many different scenarios. Oh yeah. You know, I just prepared I, for all of it. So you never know what you're going to find. Well, that, no, no. Yeah. And and reading books is, I mean, it's good. I think it's good to educate yourself. Um, my my adopted mom, when I turned twenty four, gave me a copy of uh, Journey of the Adopted Self. Oh wow! And and she wrote in there, you know, this is for your journey, and hope you find peace and love. And I was even with that support, I was too scared to read the book until I turned 25. And as soon as I started reading the book, I was hooked on 
the idea I always wanted to search, but this really compelled me to step forward with it. And thankfully, that was in August of 1996 I or 95, I sent away from my identifying information. And within two months, thanks to Open Records in Alberta, Canada, I got my birth name. And a week later, um, a couple of search angels used the internet to find her and, and talk to her on Thanksgiving Day in 1995 for the first time. Wow. And it was it was weird. Yeah, I can't and, even imagine. And and we even with that book and I I did rush into things and so did she and um made a very emotional reunion. And, you know, hindsight I would have done it much differently but you know i i grew up watching talk shows with people reuniting with their birth mother and i wanted to have that experience of hugging her for the first time and meeting her and that compelled me to kind of get obsessive with it one of those talk shows is what got me to search i saw an episode of maury povich in 1994 and mm. uh okay and he reunited an adoptee with their birth mom on stage. And it was a complete sh shock to the adoptee. And I'm just, at that time, I was, you know, I was like curious, but I hadn't started looking yet. It was, I had leaned towards the, well, medical stuff. I want to know what's in my history, but I hadn't gone forward into like starting to look. And here they reunites these two on stage. And I'm just like silently sobbing tears and snot, like, hyperventilating almost mm -hmm. and then he talks about at the end he's like look for mutual reunion consent registries online and i was like what and that was back in the days of dial-up so i entered my information and so oh. many of those just trying to find somebody and i mean i would stay up until all hours of the night just looking for more of them and typing in information you know wow so if I, I had to go through an intermediary because Pittsburgh, it was a closed adoption. And that was the only way to get any access back then was to go through orphans court and uh, get an intermediary appointed to you. So, yeah. Wow. I'm going to put myself on me. I'll be right back. Sure. We got nine people in here. Linda, Alyssa. Thank you for popping in. You know, it's kind of informal and just anybody that wants to talk, go ahead and talk, you know. Don't let me hold you back. Okay, thank you. Hi. Thank you. Yeah. You guys have anything to share about Mother's Day? Mother's Day feelings, how it hits you? I'm struggling this one. Um, I lost mom and dad eight years ago now, but, and then my biological mom, I lost in 2000 and it's just kind of weird not to have anybody to say happy mother's day to. Yeah, I get that. Just, just weird. Yeah. feels like we're too, we're not old enough to be without moms yet. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's well, I had um, part of my story was when um, I was searching the, the uh, 
Can I use the Canadian Adoptees Registry dot org? I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And um, the lady there advised me. I think her name was Alice. She advised me to try and get in touch with the birth mother to talk to her first. You know, because my non-identifying information, I had to ask questions to. Because I had a lot. I guess there was a lot of people with the same names and went to same schools and back in that day. So I had to narrow it down to who it was. And uh, the first person I made contact with, I, I said I was planning a 50th birthday party for my mother. And I stuck to as much of the truth as I could. I said my name. I said where I was from. I said my mother's name. And I said, well, I've got this picture of these two girls, like the, the older sister and the younger sister were nine years apart. And... Um, the mother, it was the grandmother I was talking to. And I just said, I was trying to find um, the, an address to mail this invitation to. And oh. she kept insisting that they hadn't gone to school together, that she didn't remember. A Joan Morgan was my adopted mom's name. But she still agreed to give me the phone number to talk to her myself. She said, I'll talk to my daughter. And uh, I don't think she knows her. So we hung up and later on that night I called her and she was just, you know, very cordial and going on about the weather and uh, how she didn't want to run up my phone bill. And she didn't remember Joan Morgan. And I had to say to her, well, wait a minute, I have another question. You know, does uh, Windsor, Ontario, Grace hospital, November 18th, 1970 mean anything to you? Oh and she said, oh, it means everything in the world. And Aww. that's how I introduced who I was to her. Oh, my gosh. What was her yeah. reaction like? Oh, we both cried. She yeah, just I said bet. everything in the world. And we both cried. And, um, you know, the sad the sad part of my story was like because of uh, it being such a secret like there, only a few people knew that she'd had a baby. She didn't even tell her sister. Wow. They arranged it that she was going to come here and look after a, a sick aunt and call the sister at scheduled times because she was so much younger, you know, being nine years old. It, obviously what her older sister was doing wasn't important, right? Just she yeah. missed. But um, like I didn't even meet the sister till I knew the birth mother for two years. Wow. And, um, yeah. And it was funny cause I ended up having a cousin, my daughter's age, cause they just both got married later on in life. And um, yeah, it's just the, the birth grandmother never wanted to meet me. And uh, it was like, I want to say it has to be about three years ago. I was having trouble getting in touch with the birth mother. And finally she answered the phone. It was almost like two years of me leaving messages or talking to her husband. And um, she just finally admitted that to have the relationship with me was just too hard on her. Wow. And she ended our relationship and uh, she'd said it was nothing I'd done. But it was just devastating. Like I, and then last year, 
So two years after that, I just had this whole weird feeling like something bad's happening. And I opened up Instagram and the cousin had posted that the grandmother had passed away. Okay. And so it was just like, I went through all this grieving for the family again, you know? Oh man. And then here this week, same thing. I have this bad feeling and I open up Instagram and the cousin posted that her dad passed away. Like, so this time I'm going to send a condolence card. I haven't put it in the mail yet, but I'm going to send a condolence card. Like I, my mother, my adopted mother would have raised me to be saying sorry about somebody's death, you know, and yeah. I can't pretend I don't know them. And I, it's so like, they're just from that generation that it was just, they were just ashamed, I guess. And it's got to say a secret that she had a baby to everybody else in the, at the church. Yeah. Like it's just to preserve her mother and dad's memory. And it, it's just like, they're gone now. Right. Like, it's like a slap in the face to you in a way. Oh yeah. It's, you know, in my, oh, and, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I just don't know. Uh, I'm trying to process it because it's like, it was like, I lost my adopted mother in 2003 and had this 18 year relationship with my birth mother like so happy to know her and then it's just like I just feel like I'm being punished now to have to live the rest of my life knowing she's alive and not have contact like it's just so crazy yeah a lot of the the moms get traumatized you know they're told you know the baby scoop moms they're told all this crap you know like oh you'll forget you'll go on and live your life and you know, it's all a lie. And they're made yeah. to feel like such terrible people. Like oh. if you had the chance to see, um, read the book, The Girls Who Went Away, you know, it's it's really eye-opening. My mother was baby scoop, but she didn't get sent away. But it was that same whole secrecy. My uncle didn't know about me. Um, everybody in school believed she had a fibroid tumor. <laughs> oh, you know? wow. Yeah. So... It's just, and it's well, just, my grandmother was more worried about what the neighbors would think, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that, and that sticks with you or with them, you know, yeah. because like my adoption papers, my, my birth mother insisted I be told I was adopted, but she kept me a secret from my two younger half brothers and at least one of my, uh, one of her siblings. And then my paternal side, I was a secret to just about everyone, including my three half brothers. Yeah. And and that that shame mindset doesn't go away, especially if they don't get therapy and deal yeah. with it. Exactly. Well, and it's hard to not absorb that because I, when I met my my birth father and I met his mother, and his mother was the only one in the whole family that said, and I cherished that moment with her was. Like she said, oh, if we would have known about the baby, we would have raised you. Wow. Like, and I just felt like, wow, you know, like, and but it was the same thing when I went to her funeral and walking in to meet like extended family that obviously norm, like we dream of having a big family, I think, mm-hmm. and be part of it. And then when you meet regular families, 
extended families, like where no one keeps in touch. Like it's so absurd too, I find. But I met them all and they're just kind of like treating my dad. Oh, you had you let the cat out of the bag, eh? You know, like they're teasing him that he had this illegitimate daughter, a secret this whole time. And and I just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, like he hadn't told anybody. He hadn't told anybody even about finding me. Like it was just like I'm walking into and I'm the elephant in the room. You know? Same I with like my half. I understand that wedding. so much. I yes. went to my brother's wedding and it's like none of his friends and new in-laws knew he had a sister even. Like and I so many people this is like a ripple that they don't know how to take us in and I feel just so disconnected. Oh yeah. Like just disconnected from all of it where you've even though you're you're like this outsider now and and that's the unfortunate part about adoption I think is we're adopted by older parents who we end up being their orphan you know and then there's this generation that is hard to connect and, and be part of it all because we were raised with them yeah. yeah and and they probably haven't dealt with their infertility trauma instead they go to the next uh, choice, which is to adopt and not deal with their own issues. Yep. Well, back in the 70s, therapy wasn't that much of a thing yet, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think uh, it's I don't know, Just it's just been a lot to process so i'm gonna send this condolence card and hope i'm like say you have the mindset of not having any expectation you yeah. know i i don't think there's anything wrong with sending a condolences card at all you know no, you can even put I, in there I how agree. you found out if you want you know if, the, if you feel like they'll be like how did you know you know or not i just signed it like from like just from my family like just uh I didn't write a letter or anything. I just if they know me, you know. So what, what part them. of Canada are you from, Shayla? Um, I'm in Ontario in Windsor. Okay. I I, I was I grew up in uh North Alberta. Okay. It hurts when you find out that somebody passed away in your birth family and they didn't nobody bothered to let you know like well when that's what was so weird last year because i just all i kept thinking was something's wrong all week i was going to visit my daughter in toronto and uh all week long i just thought something's wrong something's wrong and then by the saturday night and i opened up instagram and i realized oh the grandmother passed away and it just felt like oh i knew something like and then it was just so weird like i'm gonna sound crazy but it's like you feel that energy of that spirit around you and I just felt like, how dare you come see me now? You know <laughs> that you're gone. You're going to come around me now. You know. It's interesting. It was a similar thing with me. I keep in touch with my, I don't talk to my brother. He's my biological brother. Um, but his ex-partner, she was like the one good thing in his life. They were together for 14 years and they have a daughter together. And um, I keep in touch with her. 
And like, I don't reach out to her all that often, but this one day, like I had reached out to her and like my grandmother had just died the week before. And she was the one that told me, and I was like, Oh, nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, wow. So it was really, um, would have been nice if my uncle would have at least let me know, you know? But. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause you just don't, they just, it's like we think of them more than they think of us, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. 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 Because it's more, it's almost always more important to us than to have a relationship with our biological family. And there's one of us and God knows how many of them and trying right. to maintain a relationship with so many new family members is just overwhelming. Yeah. And and sometimes you got to put the brakes on it and just try to learn to integrate it in your life. It, it's not easy. No. 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 Um, no, I, I was thinking about your question. You asked me if I knew any information. Um, the only information I know is that my birth mom gave birth to me at home with the help of her sister and oh. at the at the time I guess it was frowned upon for single Korean uh females to like have a kid without like the husband being around oh. so that's why she put me up for adoption and I'm not saying I'm I don't I'm not saying I hate her for that but and the the only other thing I know is that she drank while she was pregnant with me because I have a fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Um, you know, if you do feel angry, I mean you're entitled. I know I've gone through a lot of feelings while going through reunion and having epiphanies and I think all these different emotions are par for the course you know like you're gonna have yeah. them and it's okay to feel them I I taught myself I grew up with silent generation parents and all I was ever taught was to stifle my feelings mm -hmm. and that's really bad for your mental health and yep, so that's what I was taught as well yeah, it's really important to like allow yourself to sit with these feelings and and have them, you know. I think uh, I went through a really angry phase for a long time with um yep. I felt like I was robbed, you know, like I missed out on everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And I did, you know, because people made decisions before I was even capable to have a say. And, you know, I mean, it is, you, you do miss out. And it's like, when you find out that you were given up because of societal pressures or whatever, it's like, I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So I will say, yeah, no, um, I started working at a, uh, like golf driving range place and I would play there on my off time. I don't know where you that was the best, like, stress slash angry 
relief. <laughs> Channel your anger. Yep. Just whack a golf ball and watch it fly. It it felt so good. That sounds like a good outlet. I've never done yes. it. It sounds like a good outlet. Let's just say I sent a, a golf ball flying at 175 miles an hour. Pretty good. Good for you. <laughs> um, Jen, do you, do you mind if I show something to the group? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if you can see this, but this is uh, like a feeling chart. So zero is neutral. That's where we're kind of indifferent about things, emotional-wise. And this is your negative feelings. Um, this is angry, rage, uh, grief. And then this is your positive feelings. You're happy and, and ecstatic. We live most of our life in the plus or minus two range from zero. And, and we, you know, because we're taught we should be happy. And, and if we're not happy or if we weren't encouraged to show emotions, then we're, we're going to be in that smaller box. So if we, if we want to learn to be happy, we also need to allow ourselves to learn how to accept our negative feelings. Yeah. And, and they're, they're both a part of us. You know, we're kind of like 50-50. Our lives in, in a lot of cases can be like that, happier or sad. Um, I think for adoptees, it's a lot more challenging, but it, it's okay to feel um, if you're angry and frustrated or whatever, it's okay to write a like an angry or grief letter to get it out on paper and help process it. That, that's what I do. And and I, I find it it can be very healing. Um, yeah. Just get it out on paper. But I just wanted to share that with everyone. No, that's that's interesting. I um I don't know if you guys ever heard of Joe Saul. Uh, he has a big group called Adoption Healing. I haven't been in it in a long time. He also wrote a book. He's a counselor. And I went to one of his um, healing weekends uh, almost 10 years ago now. Actually, yeah, it'll be 10 years this year. Um, and one of the exercises that he had us do, it really struck with, it stuck with me. So, so like a really good cathartic exercise can be even just writing a letter to somebody. So like those of us that aren't in contact with our mom, you know, just write a letter to them, you know, like what you want to get off of your chest. And even if they don't see it, just something about getting it out of you onto paper can be really cathartic. Well, this thing Joe had us do was to write a letter using your non-dominant hand. Oh, so I'm right-handed. And so I would write, I wrote the letter with my left hand and he said it connects to the other side of your brain that way. And it, uh, it almost like connects to like the inner child aspect of yourself. And it's crazy because when I wrote mine, like it literally turned into like what a seven-year-old would be writing. Like, I want my mommy and like, it really like poured out of me. And it's a, it's a really interesting exercise. Um, if anybody wants to try it sometime, make sure you're in a good mental place already 
before you do uh, because it does like it can really be a lot to to think about and process but it's really it's almost like automatic writing because it's coming out from the other side of your brain it's really really fascinating stuff that's really interesting yeah yeah that's really interesting because it's like i think of of uh, how the relationship went that myself as the child had that desire to have their mother mm-hmm. right and close and there and and my idea of um how that reunion would have been would have been her saying oh i wanted to keep you oh i want but it it, those words didn't get said yeah and and then how the relationship like ended it just made me really feel that either she'd made like a deathbed promise to her mother about like giving her mother at the end of the story, even though her mother wasn't going to be alive anymore. Yeah. And, and it was just like, both of them had agreed to put me up for adoption. Like that, maybe that truly was what she wanted was to not have children, you know, and it's been a hard thing to accept not being wanted. Well, how old was your mom when she was pregnant with you? 18. That's, pretty young still and you know naive and easily manipulated oh yeah you know so i don't label yourself as unwanted you have to that's on them not on you you know it's not anything you did you were just a baby who happened to be born at an inconvenient time for them (laughs) you know yeah i was my mother was 16 I'm still in high school and um you know it doesn't mean you're unwanted it was just bad timing you know yeah and here's something that that really was enlightening to me when I first was searching um I was a part of a local adoption group and it was birth parents it was started by a birth mom and uh, she had made it like her goal to reunite as many adoptees and parents as she possibly could. And um, well, there was this uh, couple in the group and they were birth parents. They had become birth parents when they were 16. Now they were in their 50s, married, had two daughters, and they were looking for their son. And um, the mom told us in group when they found their son, and she went to go take, she was taking care of her mother at the time who was elderly. And she went to go tell her mother that she had found their son. She said she completely regressed to being 16 years old and telling her mother she was pregnant again. Like that anxiety just came right back into her. Even though now she was like a 50 year old plus woman, you know, married to the guy with kids that all that shame came back, all that anxiety, it all flooded back into her all those years later. And like, that's how real it is for them, you know, what they get put through as far as, you know, that baby scoop era in particular, you know? Yeah. Same. And 
there, there's a saying by, uh, there's a therapist named Robin Goble. Um, she was part of the Adoption Knowledge Affiliates, but she has a talk that says uh, trauma doesn't tell time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's when people uh, regress back to when birth mothers regress back to the age when the baby was born and also adoptees um, can regress back to feeling like an infant. I, I know I did for my reunion with my birth mom. Really? And, yeah. And because I, I was I was up there for two weeks and I would cry, you know, just not even knowing from one moment to another. But it, it was so weird. It's so surreal because um, my my brothers wanted to meet me and then her husband was jealous because she and I had a strong emotional connection and it was, was really it's really tense at times and I would go back to the bedroom I was staying in just to meditate or write my journal or call my sponsor because I just had to get centered again yeah it's a lot Jonathan, did you go through a reunion? I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've been having some audio issues, so I hope everyone can hear me all right. Um, okay, right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been in reunion for almost six years now. Um, How's it going? And it It's complicated. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's any other kind of reunion. Um, yeah, that's true. A lot, a lot of things are pretty good. Some things are iffy. I'm, I still have a pretty good relationship with my, with my first mom. Um, my first dad. It's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mother's Day is definitely. I, I mean, I had. Like like many accounts I've heard here, I I have a good relationship with my adoptive mom, mm-hmm. and it's still just sort of awkward this time of year, um, and overwhelming. Um, it's amazing how just coming into the weekend I feel it in my body, um, and there's just that anxiety there. Really, <laughs> don't know if that's just me. <laughs> What do, you do, for, do you send your first mom a card or anything, or do you call her, or what do you do for mother? Um, it's it's varied over the years. I I don't have anything consistent. Um, okay. I I don't live particularly close to either of them right now. My first mom is about seventy miles away. My adoptive mom is about three hundred miles away, so she's a bit further. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um. Have your moms met each other? Yes, they did. So shortly after I let me let me start a little earlier than that. Um, I decided to start searching right around the time my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I had those good old concerns about congenital diseases right. or genetic diseases, and so I started to look, um, and not identifying information was pretty much useless. And so I eventually went the DNA route and got an exact match in ancestry. Wow. She'd taken a test 
So, and my biological father's mother is very much into family history and genealogy, and most of her family has been tested. So she was a match, her husband, her ex-husband was a match, my biological grandfather, and a bunch of my biological father's siblings and cousins and aunts. And so there was lots to match up there. That's um, convenient. <laughs> it was I got really lucky. When I they when I went find you. What? They wanted to find you. I guess so. Um they I I asked her, I asked my my first mother, you know, why she did the test. And she was like, oh, I just I was just sort of curious. And I don't know if that was actually in the front of her mind. It might have been in the back of her mind, but I don't think it was in the front of her mind. Um, but uh, there's some fun details to that story that I'll save for later. But um, yeah, shortly after that, the, I think it was the first Mother's Day. It was about a year after our reunion. I had both of them over for dinner on Mother's Day. Um which or was it Mother's Day? I think it was Mother's Day. I'll have to go back and double check the dates. But I had them both over for dinner and they spent some time together. Um, which was, it was still, I was still totally in the honeymoon phase and this was all just terribly exciting. And I'm sure they were both very awkward and uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she's been great inviting me to that that first christmas after after i found her she invited me to her big family christmas party and i met all of her siblings and that's a lot it was very overwhelming yeah that stuff's a lot <laughs> she, she's one of seven so there were a lot of people um it was a lot of people but uh i also invited her to come to one of my mom's uh, family gatherings and she's one of 10 so uh Ooh. i think you're sort of even <laughs> and you've got a lot to keep track of yes yes i do and i i've it took me a long time to get my adoptive family straight and i'm not even i still have to map it out to see everyone on remember who's everyone on the biological side um building the ancestry trees helps I have two. I built I built an adoptive one and I built a bio family one and keep them separate. And I've I it it's interesting because since I did that, I feel more grounded to history than I used to. Like when I was a kid in school, I had no interest in history class at all. And like building my ancestry tree and like finding out where my ancestors were in these different historical periods has really made me feel more connected to like the world and stuff in a weird way. I, I really glommed on to genealogy pretty early on with my adoptive family. I had this idea that I was destined to be there and that they were my family as much as anything else. And so I, you know, looking for that identity, jumped in feet first. Yeah. And in, that, in almost that entire family, I'm the one that knows all the people um, on my on my adoptive mom's side of the family i know where all the people are buried i know all their stories uh, better than better than just about any of the biological grandchildren um and and it was it was very interesting that how much how much purpose that held um finding all of that out and 
then when I found out biological stories, how much that uh, resonated differently. Um, yeah, F family history is still a big interest in genealogy and records and history. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I was I was just desperate for that identity without the genetic mirroring, without I, I'm my hair and eyes match um, my my adoptive mom. We're very close in in complexion, but I'm built differently than everyone else in that family. I'm a I'm a stockier build. <laughs> They're all pretty slim. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get that. I'm very different from my adopted family too, because my mom was Mexican and my dad was Spanish. Yeah. Um, and and uh, DNA ancestry-wise, I'm actually pretty similar. Um, that's interesting. Which it's it's there are so many weird things with how much matched up there, but uh, I know with some baby scoop adoptions, they did try to match nationalities at different places, not everywhere, but. That was a yeah. trend in some, like some adoptions. They did try to match nationalities, at least, and if not that, hair color and eye color and stuff. Yeah. Well, I was adopted in the '80s as an infant, and it was really—I I was sort of unexpected. Um, when when I was born, the agency called my adoptive parents. They'd sort of been waiting. There had been three or four before me that had the the first mother has de had decided to not relinquish, wow. um, but I got relinquished, so that was great. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was sort of a surprise. And they got a call the day after I was born. They were out of town, um, and were not expecting anything. So it was very last minute. I actually have a full biological sister, who. Uh, sadly passed away as an infant um, and they had told my biological mother that they had contacted that same family to see if they wanted me to which with my uh, skill in family history I'm really good at finding dead people so I was able to find her obituary and get in contact with her adoptive parents too and confirmed that no they did not reach out to them about me oh <laughs> wow so uh it was it was very off the cuff i've actually been trying to meet i know the social worker who handled my case um and she's i think she's in her 80s now um i've actually met her a few times but uh the last time i did was probably 17 years ago and she said if, if you have any questions just let me know and i've been trying to get in touch with her because i have questions now um yeah. <laughs> There's, there's probably three days that's lost. It wasn't very long. And I don't know where I was for those three days, but um, other than that, I've got a pretty good picture. Yeah, um, sounds like it. Lots of detail and stuff. I, and, and again, I, I have been ridiculously lucky with finding who I've been able to find. The, yeah. the main reason that I was really pushed into DNA was I'd read horror stories here in Utah about the person that ran the mutual consent registry not connecting people who were matched. They just oh. didn't think it was tasteful. And so they didn't do their job. 
And oh, there had wow. been a number of stories of people who were, you know, they didn't get connected until after the biological mother had died. Um, like they, they technically been a match for years, but that person just didn't do it. So oh. at that point, I decided to try and do things through the system and uh, <laughs> go I for DNA. Know. Yeah, right, right. Um, let's see, Linda, do you have, uh, or who, somebody, who is that? Did you, it doesn't have your name, it just has the phone number. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's your name? I think it said Sarah on my messages. Oh, yes, that's me. Hi. Are you Hi. struggling with Mother's Day feelings? Yeah. Yeah. Not trying to put you on the spot, but if you want to share, you're welcome to. My only hesitation there is because I'm a mom, not an adoptee. Oh, that's so okay. Respectful of you adoptees and just listen, I guess. I don't know. That's, I'm always sympathetic to the moms as well. Like, it's. I'm an adoptee, but I'm also a birth mom. Yes, she is. I'm both. And it stinks. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I have, yeah, I have an incredible amount of rage and anger. And my own mother, who forced me to give up my firstborn, just texted me Happy Mother's Day, as if I could ever have a Happy Mother's Day. I'm so sorry. Like She just wants to pour salt into my heart. Wow, that's heavy. Have you talked to her about it? Yeah, I, I honestly think that she has narcissistic tendencies and she just wants what she wants and it's just very toxic. I can't have her in my life. I just can't. And even with not having her in my life, she still texts me and I just don't respond because I don't want to be responsible for her hurting herself if I unleash the anger that I have and really let her know what she did and how she can you block her number so you don't receive her texts anymore I could but then if something happened to her and she needed help and I wasn't there in an emergency I would feel guilty too I don't yeah no, you, they, she could call 911 and the hospital would come and get her and it's not your responsibility. Sure. You, and that's, and that's, a, that's the part that with the narcissist and the empath relationship is built like that. And, and you've got to be strong and take care of yourself. And you have to, like the curiosity does kill the cat like you've got to block her and not be curious if she's texting you and you have to decide when you want the contact and how much so you don't get hurt again yeah how old were you when you had your your firstborn 
16. Yeah, my mother was too. And my mother, Same with mine. my mother made her give me up too. She got pregnant again while still in high school, married the dad, um, probably just so she wouldn't have to give him up too, but it didn't last very long. If I could hug you, I would. You, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's really hard. How old is, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Darren. How old is your, your um, was it a boy or girl that you gave up for adoption, Sarah? Uh, he's, he's, um, he's 30. Okay. Have you started looking for him? No, he, he found, he found me like a few years back, but he doesn't think of me as anything other than just an acquaintance and oh there's there's not much of a connection there on his end so oh honey i feel that i can't push anything so i just let him have his Could you make it into more of a friendship and ask to take him to lunch or? We're not local. Um, he's, he's got his Do you have any contact? Do you have any contact with him? I can text him, but most of the time my messages go unread. Mm. Well, don't stop trying. It's, I, I've been involved in all my adoption communities for a long time, and there's like a definite trend where male adoptees. There's a way lower percentage of them that want to search. Um, my friend who was a birth mom that ran the first group I was ever in, um, it was called Pittsburgh Adoption Connection. And she said that the male adoptees tend to have more of a loyalty issue, especially older adoptees, like in my generation, is a because it's just how they were raised. But there tends to be like, they don't have that same connection to seek out the moms like women do because, and I think it has to do a lot with, you know, we are the ones that give birth and go through the same thing that you go through. Whereas guys have a disconnect there, you know? And yeah. a lot of times it's still, it brings it out. Like John said, he started searching when his wife was expecting and Darren, like, where were you at when you started searching? What led you to search? Um, I, I always kind of wanted to, and my birth mother had a feeling when I was 18 or 25, I would search and 18, I was in no condition to, to search. That would have really been a disaster. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I also was an absentee father to my son in Canada and he didn't find out about me until he was eight and a half. And for several years, he would come and visit us and stuff. And the last few years that there was some tension there. And um, when I saw him a couple months ago, we had a good talk and I, I apologized to him for not being there for him and how that affected him. And it, it was, he deserved an apology a long time ago. And it, it gave us kind of a, a new fresh start. Um, and, you know, cause I, I would text him or send him messages on Facebook and he would rarely respond. And I tried not to make it about, you know, did I do something wrong? I would try to stay in contact with his wife and his, they have two kids. And so don't, don't give up hope that not, it'll always be this way. There, there could be a change and maybe it's, you know, sending him a handwritten letter and talk to him and say, you know, I would like to be a part of your life in some capacity that you, you may have not come to uh, that place yet. You know, with my son, he had a, a stepdad growing up and then he has another stepdad now. And, and the stepdad he has now, his name is Blair and he's a great guy. And he, Blair and I get along great. When I go to Calgary, I stay with my, my son's mother and, and Blair. And it, it's, it came a long way from, you know, in the mid nineties when I made contact with her and trying to reconnect. Um, but I, I know it's right now, it's really hard for you. Um, but it, it may not always stay this way is, is what I'm trying to say. Right. As long as both parties are alive, there's always hope. That's, that's where I'm at. Cause I have my biological uncle doesn't talk to me and cause my grandmother basically kicked me to the curb, like three years after reunion. And I think he didn't want to be in the middle. Uh, so he just doesn't talk to me and I still reach out to him a couple times a year and just hope that he'll come around because I miss him. I, I think there's also a component there with just sort of masculinity culture where being, being open to have those kinds of relationships is generally not accepted. In adoptee spaces, I know there, there are a lot more women than I see men. <laughs> right. It's, it's mm -hmm. not something that a lot of, a lot of guys are, uh, I don't know what the word is, but uh, up for it. <laughs> Whether it's, yeah. it's emotional maturity or emotional awareness or, or what. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's. You, you yeah. have you have to sort of think about what you're getting into and think about the relationships and want to emotionally commit right. to, to take some of those steps. And for people who aren't in touch with their emotions, that can be really, really scary and hard. 
Right. Yeah. Definitely. So can I ask a question real quick? Sure. What are like some good coping mechanisms to deal with like being adopted? Because every time I go into like a new environment, like a new job or like just every time I meet new people and they're like, well, tell me like your, where you're from and such. I kind of give like a shallow answer because I, me being adopted internationally, people are like, oh, what's it like being adopted? I'm like, it's, I don't know how to answer that really. And they're like, is it weird being adopted? Like they ask me questions left and right. And they ask me questions, sometimes I don't even want to answer. I call that the 20 questions of being an adoptee. I used to feel like, call it this way, I had to explain myself. Because as soon as I would utter the words, my mom was Mexican, people would look at me funny. And so I immediately felt like I had to explain myself. And in my adolescence, I would say from my mid, you know, that tween age into my 20s, I would do, here's what I would do. This was my defense mechanism, not a good coping mechanism, but my defense mechanism. As I would say, I'm adopted. My mom's Mexican. No, I don't know who my mom is. No, I don't want to know who my mom is. And that would be the end of it because I was very angry at my birth mother as a young person because that was my, it was easier to be angry than to be hurt as yeah. a kid. That was how I dealt with it. I had a lot of bottled up anger directed at my birth mom because I thought she didn't want me. And then I grew up and I went through reunion and found out it was my grandmother all along. I was like, no, you have to go. So I now the anger was moved from my mother to my grandmother. So yeah. But coping mechanisms, like it's really hard when you're in that situation and you do you feel like you have to explain yourself or if you don't people start asking and then you feel like you have to explain yourself and mm -hmm. it's it's difficult when you're i assume you're a transracial adoptee or yes. your parents yeah that makes it that makes it definitely more of a challenge um for sure I, especially when it's uh when it comes to family reunions because my mom's side is, it's a large family yeah. and all, everyone in, on my mom's side, they're all biological. So my brother and I, whenever my family goes, we're the elephants in the room and everyone's like, and I just know they're talking about us behind our backs. I'm like, sometimes it's not even worth it to go to these well, they may or may not be talking about you behind your back. It, you might feel that way just, you know, because you're sensitive about the situation, which is completely natural. I went mm -hmm. through my identity crisis when I was 20 years old. And it's like a weird story. But so like I grew up in the States. I grew up around white people. And so like that was normal. But we went to Mexico. We used to go all the time when I was a kid. 
Um, and we stopped going for walks. My sister moved to California. So our vacations went that way instead of to Mexico. And then after my dad passed away, my mom and I went down when I was 20. It was the first time I had been back in Mexico as an adult. And we were at my grandmother's apartment. I knew all of my first cousins, but my mom's cousins were coming to say hi to her to visit because they hadn't seen her in a while. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And she's like, oh yeah, this is my daughter. And I'm like, they're looking at me like, how, how'd that happen? She's blonde uh-huh. and like, what, you know, and it really hit me. It hit me like a brick wall. I was like, oh my God, I felt like I didn't belong, you know, like, cause they looked at me so weird. And I went off and I hid in my bedroom and was like writing in a journal. I had this journal. It was like this long letter to my friend while I was gone. And I was like, I don't feel like I belong here. And then the next day we're at the markets and they cat call. It's just how they do when they're, and they would be like, hey, Pastor Aguerita, which is, hey, Kate Blondie, come and what do you want to buy here? And I was like, can we go buy some black hair dye or something? Like, I felt like I needed to blend. I felt like I stuck out. You know, I was the most obvious person in our group everywhere we went. And so I totally get that. But you have to do that you know, during that trip brief experience. So I can imagine how exhausting it is to feel that way all the time, you know? Yeah. As far as coping mechanisms, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to to say hi to everybody. I actually like, I'm Alyssa on the iPhone. I had to step out my, put my kids to bed. Um, But I definitely wanted to speak to this as being a transracial adoptee. I think it's definitely different it's like such a journey and I feel I'm actually half Mexican and half Polish by birth and I was adopted into a Dutch family with a very like um homogenous like just community altogether um and so I think when you're young it's just that you stick out so much wherever you go there's like no secret so I think when you're younger you feel almost like out of control like nothing's really under your control Mm -hmm. so that can be like really frustrating um but likewise I kind of had my like search kind of wish to search when I was when I had my first son so when I was like 23 and just put everything together through you know just online Facebook white pages and all of that um when I actually met my birth mother it was okay she was mex she's on the mexican side um she wouldn't tell me anything about my birth father um but basically the reunion was fine then it went south once she found out that my kids were also mixed with black which was like so strange to me um because like my white family had always supported my kids um And so, yeah, it kind of like brought things full circle to me. Um, But that definitely took me like finding her and a little bit more out about myself. And then just with age two and like different experiences that you have, I, I want to say like, I think it gets easier, but I think you just get wiser and you don't have to feel like you have to explain things to everyone. I know, (laughs) like how Jen, you said, like, sometimes you feel like people are just, you know, one simple question makes you almost feel like you have to like share your whole life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's really frustrating, but I think you also, and I wish I would have learned this when I was younger. You also, you absolutely like, don't have to, um, I feel like I would always freeze up and like go into this. Well, you know, I don't speak Spanish because I was raised by my white parents. I was adopted. Like they don't really need to have all that access to your life. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's, you know, it takes time to get to that point too. Yeah. Yeah. You're still young. And um, I would really recommend like finding, a, you know, adoption competent therapist, if you can, it really does help to have somebody to talk to. And if you can't find adoption competent thought therapist, <laughs> it's challenging. You'll find, if you find one that you vibe with that you can talk to, you're probably going to have like it's messed up but that's what I had to do with one I really liked I spent like a year telling her about the effects of adoption and giving her books to read you know now she's retired dang it. but um <laughs> you know it's it's challenging but it definitely helps to have somebody to talk to being in the Facebook groups and talking about you know writing about things that affect you I think it's really helpful. Yeah. Before, um, before like I found Fireside and like some people on Instagram who connect me with Fireside, I did feel alone and I just started like writing a book just so I had a world to escape to because, and, because I just, felt I felt alone in a world full of biological people and I some days I would be so frustrated my parents are like my adopted parents would be like why are you frustrated for and I'm like I I feel like I'm missing part of my life yeah and I would explain to my parents who are both biological to theirs parents and I was like and I'll be like imagine like take our pets for example like we adopted them because it's the best way I could explain to them and they still kind of couldn't understand I'm not not to say they didn't try their best but kind yeah. of an isolating place to be because the only people that really get what it's like being adopted is people who are yeah you know, really and I mean it's it's the, it's the truth you know it's nobody really can get what it's like unless they've been in that position and that's why I think adoption groups are so important because like it's real like it's real community you know like I can relate to something with every single person you know no matter what our beliefs are because they're adopted and I'm adopted we can relate mm -hmm. to them. you know it's a unifying thing yeah like I got to go to the summit this year um the untangling our roots summit in Louisville and it was amazing. I got to meet all these people I've been talking to online for years. And it was like, it's so uplifting. 
like it was really amazing um I, I was like riding that high for a good week or so after i got home getting to meet, meet renee gallon of saving our sisters and like so many other people i can't even remember all the names right now but it, it was she and i were really excited to get to meet each other so <laughs> um, thank you for coming well, Alyssa thank you, said Alyssa. thank you for holding space for this meeting. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm glad you were here. Thank you. I hope you guys have whatever kind of Mother's Day comes and that we can all get through it together. Yes. Yes. Well, unfortunately, it's almost 1130 here and I have yeah. to wake up early tomorrow. So I wish y'all the best and thank you jen for doing this yeah i have a group called conversations about adoption if you can pop in there and i have a podcast too so can you uh what what's your podcast conversations about adoption i'm gonna have to look that up yeah that's why this is being recorded because i don't put it up on there so, because I think a lot of people struggle with Mother's Day and, you know. Well, thank you very much. And I wish y'all the best. Yeah, you too. Linda, going? Take care. I don't think we've heard from Linda yet. Hi. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Um, I'm... I'm doing okay. I'm I'm actually um um an adoptive parent. Oh, okay. Oh. So you're stopping in to listen or yeah, I I um would I I would of course always want to learn more of how I can be more supportive and um what kinds of things we you know I could do to to help sure um do you have one or do you have more than one adoptee uh we have many that are adopted um in a majority internationally okay. and we one one of our sons that we actually have a really amazing relationship with his um, family, but he um, and we lived in Haiti um, with the and reconnected our kids with their their birth families as oh, much sweet. as possible. And um, you know, no, I was just listening, um, Jen, uh, to you about the you know, kind of having an identity crisis in your 20s and just, um, you know, how I can be supportive of that because, like, I have birth parents reaching out to me and the siblings because our son won't, won't talk to them. Oh, really? Won't have relationship with them and won't have relationship with any of us, actually. He's just kind of just walked away from everybody. Wow. And he's like 20 now. <laughs> so I, you know, I, 
I don't know what to say to the birth mom and to the sister. I mean, we know them. We're close to them. We're their family to us. Yeah. Um, or what I or if I should say anything, it's not my place. If that's his place to be involved with them or not. Yeah, I mean, it really is his choice and his decision. I think mm -hmm. the respectful thing is if you guys have your own separate relationship aside from him, it's fine. Just, you know, keep it. You guys don't give her all the information about him, you know, or check with him to see what he's comfortable being shared. Um, you know, but I think it's great that you tried to help your kids reconnect. What do you have any that are little still, or are they all like, uh, you no, know, actually my youngest is 13 now. Um, and you know, they're, they all have responded in different ways. I mean, some, we have great relationships with, we've, you know, we, I didn't know the extent of what we were doing, you know, at the time, and I, I should have known better. I, I worked in adoption for many years and should have realized, you know, I, I just, I feel guilty and bad and awful that we've been a part of creating so much pain, you know, and, um, with the intention, like, so the one of our sons that I am referring to was adopted, um, uh, three siblings together were adopted into the United States, but then um, those children bounced around to different homes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very common that parents are not prepared and, you know, just the idea that we would, be moving kids from one country to another, thinking that this is somehow in their best interest, you know, and it's just um, really sad. And I, you know, so then what do we do after the fact, you know, when we realize, you know, this shouldn't have happened in the first place, this shouldn't have been the solution of uh, children that are starving or orphaned or, uh, you know, abandoned or relinquished. Um, but after the fact, it, this is what happened. Um, I wouldn't punish yourself, you know, I mean, you had best intentions, right? And yeah. we don't know what we know until we learn it, you know? So like, I can look back at my adoptive parents and fault them for, oh, you know, they should have known that I had ADHD or they should have gotten me into therapy, but I was born in 1971 and mm -hmm. therapy wasn't really a thing back then. You know, they were also from like the silent generation where you just sucked it up, you know? And right. so like, they did the best they could with what they knew at the time. You know what I mean? Right. And all you can do is like move forward. You can't like things that have happened, you can't take them back. You can't undo them, but you can support, you can, you know, all you can do is like be there for them and support as much as you can and, you know, be trauma informed. And I mean, that's really like, all you can do is move forward is all I'm trying to say. 
you know, and it seems like you understand and have learned a lot, which is huge because a lot of adoptive parents, man, they stick to their guns and they don't want to hear anything about adoption or trauma or anything like that, you know? Yeah, I've so, gotten off of many of the groups because just even listening to them, it, they, they, you know, just even if you aren't responding, like a different Facebook groups adopt, adopting from this country, adopt, they're so, you know, unwilling to even comprehend that there's so much grief and loss and abandonment and, you know, all of these things. It's just so focused on what a blessing and a great thing that that they've done for this child or that they're that you know god brought this child to them or you know yeah. it, it's just so extreme without being it couldn't you know without even acknowledging the loss in it um yeah the saviorism too yeah we yeah saved but them. when we realize that you know when, when we realize and then we're at the point i guess this is why i've you know, tried to get more and more involved in uh, adoptee groups and listen to the perspective to, to just, just, just absorb, you know, how can I be a better support? Um, and I, I, we have opened up, you know, closed adoptions. We have, you know, tried to incorporate family back in, even when it was not advisable to do that. And, but, I mean, I don't know who's in, why people advise that. I mean, I'm shocked that there even are such a thing as close adoptions nowadays. Right. But they still happen. They do. It's, yeah. It's, I, I think the ones that happen that are closed though, it's literally, you know, the, the birth mom wants it that way, you know, like, cause there are women out there that that is what they want to do. If they get pregnant, they don't believe in abortion they're going to put the baby up for adoption. I mean, there are women like that, that are, because, you know, human existence is a spectrum and there are, you know, it's undeniable that that happens, but I can't understand wanting it to be closed. Like I, like, I really have a hard time with like the safe haven baby boxes. I, I was just in the emergency room this week and there was like, I had to use the bathroom and there's this big sign on the, on the bathroom wall, these posters, two of them, and one has information about the baby box and the other one is a picture of a baby and it says, hush, little baby, we won't say a word. And I'm like, yeah, like, uh, it's I was like, I wanted to rip it off the wall. And, oh, I was so, so triggered. It took everything in me, not, not rip it off the wall. Yeah, me too, Darren. I, I despise them. I think it's such like a bad idea. Like I get the idea behind it, but you know, it's it's so flawed it's so flawed yeah because you know i i don't want any kid to be left in the woods or behind the, in a dumpster or something whatever her story was yeah but there's no there's no room in her narrative for the trauma that babies will experience right um i uh, Barbara Sumner, I think, talked about this. She's from Australia, but it, when you're separated from your birth mother, it, it's like you lose your entire um, family, yep. birth family, maternal and paternal, all at once. And if that happens, 
say your family dies in an accident, there's going to be empathy for the baby and the family. Right. Or if the baby's kidnapped, same thing. Right. But with adoption, it's just completely dismissed. Oh, yeah. But the experience of the baby is the same as if they, you know, their family were killed or if they were kidnapped and taken away. Yep, totally. There's that meme floating around. I've made it a few times myself, you know, uh, only with adoption is like that grief totally dismissed. I forget the wording I've used though, because my brain's not working right. But um, but it's true. It, it's and that's where like I get really upset. I see these videos people put up on TikTok of you know meeting our adoptive baby for the very first time and the comments, everybody's like, no, nah, and they're so happy. And it's like there's then there's the adoptees going, <clears throat> you know, like all adoption starts with loss, you know. And it'd be great to see people comment things like, that's so sad for the mother and baby, but hopefully this will be a good homer or some acknowledgement of the loss and not have it all be like this narrative that everybody wants it to be perfect, you know? And don't even get me started on the adoption industry and how that works, you know? the promising a better life but there's no promise there's no guarantees it's only different you know like i had i had good pretty good adoptive parents you know i had yes <laughs> yeah i i mean i did i had good adoptive parents and we had you know my dad made good money and everything and all the material things but like what i wanted was my you know, family to know where I came from, you know, like I'll never be, I got exposed to like wonderful Mexican culture and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not the same as in like the, the confusion without the genetic mirroring and stuff was just, yeah. Yeah. And my, my, my mom had my sister she was in labor for 78 hours oh. and my sister, my sister was born a breech baby and she decided she didn't want to go through pregnancy. That's why they chose to adopt. And yeah, I had good adoptive parents and my birth mother, um, she wrote me about a week after I came back from my trip to Canada in March and she I didn't read the letter, my wife read it, but part of the letter started with that I should be thankful for my parents for what they did for me. Oh. And she, I think because she hasn't dealt with her trauma and she even told me years ago, um, I think it was back in 09, she said, well, all I know is that you had really good adopted parents. Compared to a lot of adoptees, yeah, I probably did. But it was still, I still didn't feel I, like I fit in. Right. I didn't, I wanted a brother. I had five brothers I never grew up with. Wow. Um, oh, there's there's a big cost to that emotionally. Yeah. And, I wanted you know, for her. Hmm? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I always wanted a I 
You're cutting out a little bit, Jen. Like I always wanted a younger brother and here I had one and just mm -hmm. I wonder how much that happens. Like how yeah. That happens. Yeah. So it, it's um it, it's not an easy thing to experience, especially when society in general they dismiss your trauma and tell you to be grateful and don't rock the boat, don't don't hurt your parents by searching all that crap. It's right. We didn't we didn't have a choice as an infant or whenever we were adopted. But as adults, we do. We have a right to find out where we came from. We should anyway. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Still, you doing okay, so Sarah? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Okay. Just thinking about you because I'm sure Mother's Day is really, really hard for you, for moms. I I can't even. I can't even fathom what Mother's Day is like for moms. Mm -hmm. The, you know, birth moms, first moms. Did you know that um, I was told this a long time ago that the Saturday before Mother's Day is technically like first mom's day or people have called it first mom's day. I've seen that used like online for a long time. And then today I saw where some adoption agency in Texas is using that now is like honoring birth moms and it's all sugary sweet propaganda disgustingness. Uh, yeah, do I keep up the uh, propaganda machine for their $20 billion industry per year? Oh, it's disgusting. It is. It really, oh, and then Brave Love, that's another one. Like, I understand they're trying to, like, support women who choose to relinquish, but it's still, like, sticky. And, like, they try to make it all, like, okay. And I don't know that you can ever make that okay, you know? You can't. The home that I was sent to, the unwed mother's home they tried to make it okay there was workbooks and there was poems and there was stories and there was basically narrated what you should feel and think and be thankful for the opportunity and it's emotionally just complete opposite of reality yeah they're trying to brainwash you Hey Sarah, was yours um was yours one that was uh, religious? Yes, yeah, it was a Christian. So was mine. Yeah, so was mine. 
Uh, huh? I didn't know you went to an unborn mother's home. Yeah, I, I did uh, with my oldest daughter. Um, I was the disgusting child of the family at that point. So they sent me off to some multi-million dollar house that was taking in all of these pregnant girls that was very um, religious. And instead of helping us, they browbeat us on a constant basis into everything, believing that we weren't good enough or anything else. A heaping helping of guilt. Yeah. And shame. I'm sure. Was it Catholic? No, mine was just a Christian home, but it was in the really ritzy part of town. So it was very odd. It was very odd. Yeah, I can imagine. A lot what, of what, Go ahead. what city were you? Uh, Black, Black, California. I can't hear you, Jen. I wonder why. You're you sound like you're underwater. Is this better? It's very muffled. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it kind of cuts in and out. I'm not using You're cutting so, out again. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just using the um laptop mic. I didn't pull out the good mic. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, well, anyway. That sounds better. I'm trying to say, did we miss anybody? Everybody's had a chance to talk. No, but I will say this much. Linda, thank you for listening. And yes. thank you for trying to do better. Definitely. Thanks for allowing me in here. I'm sorry for, I mean, I was just listening to like, also, I mean, I think people need to talk a little more on these platforms too about how profitable this, you know, these are, these adoption agencies are, you know, they're, lying, they're lying to birth mothers and they're also lying to adoptive parents and they're brainwashing people too to, to think that this is the best thing. And Absolutely. There, there's a book um, you can get on audio version called, it's called The Child Catchers. Yep. It's about 17 hours, um, but it, it talks about the Christian groups will go from one country to another uh, around the world, Africa, Asia, um, and and they uh, they have a narrative that they they feel they need to they're called by God to save children, and then they go out in the rural areas and convince the families to give their baby their kid um, to go to America to get educated, not telling them that they'll probably never see their kid again, stuff like that. But just say the entitlement throughout the book and the narrative is. Well, it's God's will, and God's will is um, above, you know, man's law or whatever. And it, it's just disgusting to to listen to the the entitlement from these adopted 
agencies and and they yeah, do shady have, stuff to to I, get the kids though sorry yeah when i when we located birth family for our kids our our daughter in vietnam our, um, our kids from haiti and different countries and address that with agencies that the information the birth parents were given and the information that we were given are not the same and the information on the paperwork you know they would make statements such as we you know we were doing this for the greater good you know <laughs> we have to make the paperwork legitimate like they were listed as orphans when they weren't you know mm -hmm. like that they don't even have any any remorse to it like they think that they were doing the right thing um wow. when they clearly weren't orphans but they have to make them a, a legal orphan in order to process the paperwork which is just so incredibly sad to me when there are true orphans um but they're actually orphaning children on paper just because that's the easier cheaper thing to do um wow it's a corrupt system i just think yeah. that, totally corrupt yeah i don't know the answer i mean i don't know the answer to any of it i just think the whole thing it's really it's really sad it's sad it's sad for everyone involved it's sad for birth parents it's sad for it's sad for the child the children of course it's just it's just sad um what led you guys to adopt to decide to look into adopting um my mom was born and raised in china and i spent a few months in china when i was a teenager mm -hmm. and when china had their one child policy and and i had been in china and would see the abandoned little girls um and and we had two biological sons. We we just felt like we could provide a home for a child that needed a family. And yeah, but we just didn't understand, you know, the ramifications of that. But we just I, I don't know, it was a naive, it was a That's, naive thought, you know. It sounds like you had generally good intentions. You know, and there are so many that it's not child-centered. You were centering a child because you knew you could provide for a child. That's totally different than people that adopt because they're infertile. And they go through all of the rigmarole of trying to conceive, and then they can't. And then the last step is to adopt a child. And, you know, that's an entirely that's not child-centered you know that's what the people want the adults want not what the child wants and so you know I, I'm like Kathy, that, I think it started out that way but unfortunately then I mean it still was that way but I think that we got then persuaded by the agencies and involvement and volunteer with the agencies and then mm -hmm you know, helping them on different levels, promoting adoption, not really realizing, um, you know, that, you know, what are, 
why aren't we helping families continue to parent their children versus, I mean, China was a little different situation because they were abandoned children and, um, you know, it's, it's a very complex situation, but then there are, there are agencies that are going, you know, they're going country by country by country to find out which is the fastest, quickest, you know, Guatemala, for example, was like, you know, we can get the youngest child, you know, as quick as possible. Um, you know, so it isn't child-centered at all. It isn't, it's more what is gonna, what's going to bring those parents, the youngest child possible as quick as possible and profit yeah. the agency. And unfortunately the lighter, lighter skin, you know, things like that too. Yeah. Because I help them with the Haiti program and Africa programs. Um or the reason we ended up adopting is because I was, you know, bringing medical teams into Haiti and we later moved to Haiti. Um, but uh, our children from Haiti weren't adopted by us. They were adopted by other families who had been, you know, led to believe they were doing a good thing. Mm. Um, but we didn't want to see them go into state social services and I had known them in the orphanage before they were adopted. And so we we took them in and then we tried to reconnect them with their family and, you know, all this. <laughs> but some of them are, you know, more accepting with the connection with their family. And some of them just reject it entirely. They don't want to be involved with their family members. And it's just. Wow. It just grieves me that they 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 just flat out don't they don't I mean I I I don't know how they feel so I don't know you know I know that it's complex and I know that it's painful for them and you know it again they might not be in a place where they're ready for that you know like I I wasn't ready. I had no, I mean, I'm not international adoptee, but I had no interest in searching. Um, My, when I was 19, my adoptive dad died of cancer. Um, Before he passed away, my grandmother, his mom had had breast cancer, had a mastectomy and no chemo or radiation survived that was fine. But then the year after he passed away, she had developed leukemia and she died. So in my mind, I'm looking at my adoptive sister going, okay, you know, you have this in your background. Um, You know, what the hell's in my background? So that kind of like the desire for medical history kind of started cracking the door of curiosity for me. Because I, again, as I said, I was angry about my... I was angry about feeling like I was unwanted as a child Um, because that, you know, when it's a closed adoption, you don't know anything. And that's just what I went to is that I, I wasn't wanted. Otherwise, why else wouldn't I be with my mother? And um, so I didn't really start searching till I was like 24 and then um 24, somewhere between 24 and 27 is when I started doing the online searching. Um, and then I finally met 
my grandparents uh, when I was 30. And my adoptive mom drove me to my reunion, which was amazing and supportive. And I'm glad she drove me because I was like shitting my pants terrified. Um, <laughs> I kept asking her to pull over. I was like, stop the car. I can't, I can't, I can't. She's like, what do you mean you can't? She's like, we're doing this. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Like I was losing my mind. Like you're just going to meet another person, but it's like terrifying. Like my anxiety was through the roof. Um, but like I said, you know, if somebody had, like in my teen years, somebody was like, oh, hey, you know, this is your mom. I don't know how that would have gone, you know. I don't know if I would have been ready for it yet. So these kids that you have that aren't, they just might not be ready. But if the doors open, if they have that access, when they are ready because of the work you've done, they know they can find them and talk to them. You know what I mean? That's that's a yeah. big deal. And I, I think maybe the timing of, because I can see that with our with the kids like that were younger compared to that were so we brought we brought them back to Haiti and lived in Haiti and then reconnected with family members and you know the ones that one of the ones that was older at the time not older but I would say like 14 compared to were 12 or 10 yeah. Um, the younger ones kind of rolled with that, but the older one um, kind of kind of tolerated that. You know, birth family was coming over, and and he he acted like he was, or we thought he was okay with it. But yeah. then when he went off to school and he'd go to go to the states and come back, we would say. You know, I'd say, did you, you know, because his family would come over for Easter and Christmas and gatherings and all these events that we would have. And because um, he was older, I asked him if he invited him over. Did you did you let your mom know about the the, the thing we're having at the house? Um, and he would say, yeah, he did. And then I would find out later because they would message me and say, oh, we didn't know you were having your your thing. Um, because you told him we that he what that they we weren't having it. I mean, so that I don't age know. group is hard though. You know that adolescent yeah. age family isn't as big a deal. Yeah, in the same way, and also, you know, like because the information was there, there's not that longing. You know right. what I mean? Those of us that are like closed adoptees, and that information is not there. There can be right. that longing. Like while I had anger at my birth mom, reflecting on my youth, I apparently thought about it all the time anyway. Like my best friends were adopted when I was a kid. Like I trauma bonded with other adoptees. Um, you know, so I was definitely thinking about it. That's how I know that the anger was just like my defense mechanism because it was easier than hurting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Silly, but that's like, I think because I feel like he's very embarrassed by the family and he's angry, but I don't, I mean, I want to help him. I mean, I just feel bad that, that he feels angry at them. Well, you know? there's, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, it, they've got to deal with their own feelings themselves. And if he doesn't want a relationship right now, then 
I mean, there's not really much you can do about it. You know, it's up to them. Um, you know, they still have a relationship with us. And so then that, yeah. that makes it, you know, a little bit complicated, but I mean, we also have others, other, you know, siblings and, you know, yeah. so it, it's still, you know, it, 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 I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm an intermediary between this, you know, like, oh, why, why won't he talk to us? Why wouldn't, you know, yeah, this kind of thing when I, I you know, it's got to be, these things have to be their, their choice. Right. But, I, you know, it's, it's just, it's the whole thing is unfortunate because, you know, I don't know, you know, I think it's good to open up adoptions. And I do think that, 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 people should have choices that they didn't have and and that there all of the different elements that were not disclosed not should never have happened but then what do we do at this point because it, it already it, it already went went down this way <laughs> and I think so, the only thing you can do yeah. is roll with the punches and right. just roll with it and and I I want to absorb more and more perspectives from yeah. first mother from from situations from other adoptees on, you know, because, you know, all the information that as adoptive parents were fed is, is a very skewed perspective that I don't think for the most part is, is very beneficial necessarily to the kids. So, yeah. But thank you for coming, Darren. Darren's saying good night, I think. Thank you, Darren. I like the the scale that you posted also because I do think that I, we put, you know, like this idea that we're supposed to be okay, you know, <laughs> like and 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 live within that neutral, not, not be unhappy or happy or right. And I think that's an important point that you know we have to also. A platform for to be angry at. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Have a have a peaceful uh, evening and uh, day tomorrow. Take care, Darren. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm gonna head off. Also, I really appreciate all of you guys. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for coming in, Linda, and thank you for being an adoptive parent that listens. It means a lot. Thank you. Have a good night. Sarah. I'm going to um, thank you. I'm going to stop recording yeah. and um, just say thank you, everybody, for joining. You don't have to leave just yet. I'm just going to turn off the recording.